This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard. Hi, my name is Monica Rustigi. I'm the Vice President of Marketing for Budweiser here in the U.S. And the thing I love the most about content is the fact that it's now democratized and many people can create content. And I, I believe that it's it's created this amazing uh, revolution of creativity for individuals that would have otherwise never thought of themselves as content creators. How does a former recording artist who was discovered on MySpace drive the marketing efforts of one of the most iconic American brands forward while paying homage to its successful legacy? Coming up, you'll hear what the vice president of marketing for Budweiser thinks about that and why she believes that success comes in part from fearlessly injecting yourself into everything that moves your brand forward. The three things she seeks in every winning creative opportunity, the importance of truly understanding your business problem, and why she's determined to not fall victim to the stereotypes made of other female leaders. From New York City, you're listening to Content Is Your Business. Conversations with industry leaders and influencers covering the strategy and innovation of brand storytelling. I want to uh, welcome our guest, Monica, uh, from Budweiser. Disclaimer, I have worked with Monica for the last uh, four and a half years, so I'm really excited to have her uh, as part of the show. So, Monica, thank you so much for being a part of this content is your business. Thanks, Ritesh, for having me. Uh, and uh, also welcome uh, my co-host, Amber. Great to be here. Hi, everyone. As well as Natasha. Hi. Great to be here. So, Monica, thank you for being part of the show. Um, what is your background? You have a very interesting background, which is very unorthodox in the marketing business. Tell us what you did prior to being at Budweiser. Yeah, it's a great question that comes up a lot because I think when people find this out, they're like, really, how'd you do this? Um, so I actually used to be a recording artist and music producer, uh, before what I call my second life, which is brand marketing. Um, yeah, so I was, I graduated from NYU undergrad. Actually, I took a hiatus year because uh, I could not see myself at a desk job. So I asked my dad if I could take a year off to just explore uh, the music side of me. I grew up uh, doing actually Indian classical music my whole life. Um, so in that year off, I uh, it's interesting now that we talk about content because the way I was founded was actually through MySpace where I was able to upload my music very easily. Uh, and that was a time when a lot of labels were looking to MySpace and could trust MySpace because the company, the companies that would like Jimmy the plays hadn't yeah. yet caught wind of the fact that they can make a business out of that. Um, and they, they scouted me off of MySpace. So I signed a record deal before I actually completed undergrad. Um, and that was a promise to my dad. Uh, he was like, you must go back and finish school. And I said, deal. So I did that. Um, so then I was I was signed to a label for three years. Um, Corey Rooney, actually, he was uh, the executive producer for Jennifer Lopez, who was someone that I looked up to big time. Actually, the first CD I ever had, I remember I flipped it over and I saw Corey Rooney under executive producer. So I could not believe that I was uh, working with someone like him. But we uh, recorded an album uh, three years later. Uh, I saw where the industry was shifting and that people could actually launch and do things on their own and didn't necessarily need a big major label muscle behind them. Um, and I went on my own and I was a recording artist and then I actually started to write for other artists. Yeah. Wow. What a start. And yeah. so, <laughs> I mean, that's so amazing, like in terms of your background. And like you said, a lot of people are so surprised by it when they, I'm sure, you know, see all of the like what you're doing now, but what attracted you to c going somewhere like Budweiser? Yeah, so that's a great question. And and now in in hindsight, the answer is clear. I can't confidently say I knew exactly why I was uh, 
what what this path was and where it would lend me to. But I think ultimately at the end of the day, I loved the creative side of uh, being a songwriter, recording artist. Like a song would start in in any any different way. There was no like rhyme or reason to it, right? Sometimes it starts with the lyrics. Sometimes it starts with the melody. So I loved that. I loved the business side of it. Um, it was invigorating to me. I think ultimately at the end of the day, I was personally tired of being the brand. Mm-hmm. I wanted there to be a cutoff um, for for when it was like Monica the brand versus Monica the human. Um, and ultimately I did like an immense amount of soul searching and I realized the thing I loved the most about the music business was being a, taking part of a passion point that was influencing culture. And ultimately what I dreamed of doing was being able to reach the masses. Um, so the thing that I loved so much about working for a beer brand was I could work within music, but also film and sports and food um, and and many other culturally uh, influential passion points. And then ultimately, I think the the most beautiful part of it is being able to deliver messages to the masses. You are at the vanguard of a brand that has a lineage that is unlike many other brands out there, right? There's few, there's companies like Nike, et cetera, that we think about that have such a storied past and have such a lofty bar to scale um, and to cross. Is that intimidating to think about or is that get, does, does that get exciting? Like what is that like knowing that you have this, this property, this entity that is such a giant colossal to be the caretaker of? Yeah, I think it can only be exciting if you have the confidence behind what is great about, about the brand. I think oftentimes uh, when you have a heritage brand, it's easy to fall into the trap of saying, let's reinvent the brand and to stay relevant. Um, but I think that the right way to do it is if, if you have a brand that has elements and a history to be proud of, you need to hone in on the things about the heritage that are timeless because legacy and heritage are actually very much respected. Um, so in the last three years with Budweiser, we've really honed in on what it stands for, the things about the past that we are incredibly proud of and I think will be respected now and in the future. Um, and that's really just served as a very clear springboard for exciting ideas and content um, and thinking. And how, but how do you balance the fact that you have this legacy brand with so much heritage and richness and deepness and is so familiar to the world but still be forward-looking and cutting-edge? Do you, do you find yourself having to mm. refrain and pull back um, on many of the ideas that maybe the creative team tout? I think it's about being selective on when you tap into heritage. Uh, the, the last thing you want to do is be dusty. So say, hey, we're this old. I think what what we've done a good job of is finding things from the past um, and making them relevant for the future. So I'll give you I'll give you a good example. Uh, we had a recipe within the Budweiser family during prohibition uh, that we rebrewed and brought to life just two years ago. Uh, so it was an interesting way to talk about our role in prohibition. We were actually at the forefront of its repeal um, and and then bring something tangible for consumers and mm. people to enjoy. Yeah. Um, so so for us, it's it's a little bit of make sure that there is a brand intelligence to what you're bringing forward, but then creative intelligence. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't. You want to make sure that you're not just like talking about yourself all the time because, like, of course, we are so excited about our brand all day and every day. Like Budweiser is one of the coolest brands ever, um, but uh, you want to make sure you're not talking to yourself. So it's about how you take something that you're proud of or that's really interesting and spin it in a way that's that cuts through and is relevant and tangible. Yeah, for consumers now. How do you think your background as a songwriter helps to influence the strategy behind the marketing content that you're creating now? I think a big part of my past that helps the content now is the music that I was creating or would create for other artists. I had to be immensely, like, it was highly emotional. So whether it was like a club song or a love song 
I was constantly pivoting uh, the, the way I wanted the music to come to life and the listener to feel when they were listening to it. And then also writing for other artists, getting into their headspace, understanding where they were in their journey in their life. I mean, artists are like every album, there's like a, a new, a new chapter in their life that, you know, one day their hair is pink and the next day it's blonde. Like you just don't know right. what you're getting into, but being able to truly put yourself into the artist or myself and, and really try and deliver uh, an emotion that could be felt and, and resonate. I think that really, really helps me um, to step out of just thinking of what's right for the brand um, and finding out also what's right for the consumer mm. and finding that proper intersection. I think also similar to like songs is there's always a there's always a climax, right? There's always like a bridge and then and then there's like crescendos and day crescendos and understanding the importance of being dynamic to keep someone with you. I think that's also something that has helped me in storytelling through content whether it be an out of home that or billboard that you see for two seconds as you're driving down the highway to a four minute film on a platform that should, that you're being told to put snackable small content on. For me, uh, being able to tell a dynamic story ha has really also been influenced from music. How do you find the fortitude in this day and age to do that, to be brave and bold and different and we're told to be snackable, but we're going to go four minutes. Or you're told, don't worry about out of home, but we feel like there's a good idea here. How do you sort of like, from a leadership standpoint and just from your own personal sort of ethos, like how do you take on those things that other people tell you don't do this because it doesn't work? I think the most, most important piece, period, to making good work is people. So it's the number one thing. You need to be surrounded by leaders and a team that likes to break the mold and is accepting of it and is okay to take risks. Uh, if you don't, you're going to have limitations. So I think that's like number one, period. Um, the second piece is I always tell the people I work with, like, you are constantly selling. So it's not just and, – and so I don't even like to use the word selling. Like, you are constantly – influencing. So whether it's your creative is influencing a consumer or you're influencing stakeholders in your system, even when you are trying to break uh, an idea or a mold. So let's let's just use the example that I just had, which is long form content on platforms that are snackable. You are constantly influencing. So always come back with data. Come whenever you're trying to push something, just make sure. And again, data to me is very sexy too. So it's like, it's not always just about creativity. It's about being able to measure uh, the impact and and the, the truths behind uh, certain rules. So, you know, if you, if you can show instances where, you know, rules are meant to be broken and there have been successful instances of that, I think that also helps uh, to make what you are trying to quote unquote sell uh, sort of, you can't argue it. What do you think is the biggest challenge within your industry across all of the organization, global brands like yourself, but in your sector? What, what's the one thing they're all trying to solve, whether it be content related or um, sort of product related, product related, yeah. marketing related? I think that there are two big problems. I think one is business and then one is uh, creative. So the business problem, I th I believe, to be a commonality out there is oftentimes I think people don't know what business problem they're trying to solve. Hmm. Uh, so when they go in to brief, they'll say, "Make me cooler than that brand," or it's it's more of an ego mm -hmm. uh, ego brief versus a business brief. So I think that's that's a when you know what your business problem is, it makes everything from your strategy to your creative to the people you bring up, everything else falls into place. Um, and then from a creative side of things, I think the number one pitfall is people talk about the consumer or people, as we like to say. We actually don't even like to say consumer in our company. It's the people um, because sometimes people don't consume your product. So why do you call them consumers? Mm -hmm. um, 
they genuinely don't know how to put people at the beginning mm. of their thinking. So like things like insights and media and stuff like that become like the sec the the second thing you think of when they should actually be the first. You should really know the people you are trying to get um and and understand the nuances of their life. So like for instance, uh one of the big shifts we made on Budweiser is like Okay, you have an ad, but if and and you can serve it and you can make it contextually relevant. Let's say it's like an ad on basketball uh or for a basketball audience and it's about beer. Awesome. We should be serving it on NBA platforms. Uh even cooler if the creative is about said athlete or the game. Um but if you really truly understand your consumer, uh you probably should not be running that ad any time before they think about drinking alcohol. So like no one should be we should not be running any of that creative before a 6 p.m. or a 5 p.m. happy mm -hmm. hour. So those are the the shifts we're making to to really put people first. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that by the way, I went totally into what we're doing as an example, but I think that's like a common creative. But that's a good example. Yeah. That's I think relative that people can take away. And so Let's talk about that business problem. So, because if that's at the heart of you solve that, it makes everything else that flows after that becomes much easier, um, which I think everybody would agree. How, if I'm listening to this and I am brand manager at different um, company, but maybe like a Hewlett Packard or like tech or CPG or whatever it is, how do I truly assess my business problem and like what are some of the obstacles that are keeping other cohorts of yours and other you know different companies from from truly assessing their problems yeah that that is um it's a good question uh i think it you know in in theory it should be easy mm -hmm. uh in theory it should be uh you know what what do we want to achieve from a business pnl standpoint and what's going to get us there. So like who are the people that that already are in the fold that we want to graduate to said product or increase the frequency. So that's one part of like who is already in and then who do we want in. So that's that's I think the easy that should be the easiest question. Oftentimes it's not because oftentimes if you're a brand manager or uh, even a director, you're not in the room deciding said strategies. So that's just the reality of um, the reality of the business. But I think the simplest thing to do is is really ask those questions. Um, and I know that's probably not this like heroic answer that's going to get everyone that's solved. But I think oftentimes people don't ask those questions mm. and they don't know. Um, and, if, and and they they respond to we need to do something for the Super Bowl or we need to do something for mm -hmm. said moment. Um, and I think when when you're given sort of that direction, just say, okay, who who are we trying to address with this moment and why? So just like ask those questions and I think that will always help you to refine your briefs. There's so much more to talk about, including I want to really get into um, being a uh, female leader in today's business and just like, you know, putting your stamp on things and carving your own niche. But before we get into that heavy hitting topic, we like to break bread with our guests. And by breaking bread, I mean, everybody is required to bring a snack. Yes. Yay. The answer to your question already, Monica, is we will judge you by your snack. <laughs> but the next question is, what snack did you bring for us and how delicious is it? Well, I can't tell you if it's delicious or not because I have not tried it. Mm. But I have tried this brand of snack. I personally love cauliflower. So then the second that this snack or this company came to be, which is essentially taking cauliflower and turning it into like the snacks we love um, day in and day out. So turning something that would be like a guilty pleasure into something positive like cauliflower. I can't even tell what the brand is. And if they're going to listen, they'll be so sad that I didn't. Ground up. Is that it? Yeah, is that it? From is the ground it? up? Ground real, up. From the ground Hopefully up. it's not made with something else. Yeah. Well, so maybe it's real food. I really, okay, maybe we need to talk to them about their branding. Um, so, yeah, I think it's hey, real food from the ground up. But the way it looks, it looks like it's, I don't know. Um, so what I thought was awesome about this, because I used to, 
always eat the cauliflower Cheez-Its version. So like mm. it was a take on Cheez-Its, which is one of my like loves. Um, but it seems they've now innovated to cauliflower stocks, which is a play on the Takis. You know, like those hot oh, Takis? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I'm just... Just for those at home that can't see this, and you can't see this, um, <laughs> it looks like a dried fruit cauliflower roll-up. Is that... Is kind that, of. Let's do it. But also at home, I hope you know what Takis are. And if you don't... Go to your local bodega or deli and your life will be changed. Get on it. Get some water, though, (laughs) because they're really spicy. And we'll be right back. Entreprenista, a woman who organizes and operates a business, taking on greater than normal financial risks in order to do so. One who has a drive, passion, and vision with an undying determination to succeed. She is fiercely motivated, ambitious, and competitive forging her own path to independence and success. That's an entrepreneurista. Through the conversations on the Entrepreneurista podcast, we want to celebrate failures, reflect on successes, and get unfiltered about what it takes to be your own boss. This is the Entrepreneurista podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done and what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram with no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Check out all our latest episodes at entrepreneurspodcast.com. Who knew that? Dried cauliflower rolled up like a fruit roll up is delicious. So good. <laughs> and there is an influencer in our midst because Monica will soon be signed by ground up cauliflower. That's right. And please share the wealth. <laughs> I'll write you your get... jingle, guys. What can they just send you like an unlimited life supply? Absolutely. Done. Done and done. Um, so with that, Natasha actually had a great question in the break, and I want to turn it over to Natasha to start off uh, round two, if you will. Yeah, we, uh, we're absolutely fascinated by your path to you know, where you've arrived, where you are right now. Um, and would love to learn sort of what influences from your path do you bring to your career and through your six years mm-hmm. um, at the organization – how how have your previous previous influences um, dictated how you lead your team, and about how you approach content in general? Yeah, the on the on the content side of things, uh, the biggest thing that I've taken from the music background, um, and probably the fact that like nothing is traditional about the music industry, <laughs> like it's a beast, um, and and you really have to operate off of having. It's far more be street smart than book smart um, and obviously have to be like creative, what have you. But the biggest thing that uh, I have taken from the music industry is that anytime I was, quote unquote, solving a problem, a.k.a. writing a song, I was never given a framework or, you know, this is what you start with. This Everything was fluid and organic and like every other session I was with a different producer with a different personality. So it with a different creative process and that used different tools and everything was different. Every single opportunity or every single song was a different challenge and opportunity. So what that did for me was it conditioned me to a not have to operate off of traditional marketing frameworks uh, and B gave me, um, helped me to build the muscle to pivot with different challenges. So, I think oftentimes if, if you are, which by the way, I, I envy the fact that, you know, I, I at times don't have that traditional marketing expertise. Like I think I would have loved having a chapter in my career where I, you know, learned that, but I, I am far more um, grateful, I think, for the fact that a majority of my time being a quote unquote creative, which by the way, it's, it's funny for me being creative just means you're, you're, you're solutions oriented and you solve problems. Um, but the, the best part of my background is that it just conditioned me to always look at something that I think maybe people 
might get intimidated by is how do I solve this? I've never done this before. Um, and it, it's sort of like I don't – I'm desensitized to that first initial mm. reaction mm. and I'm more inclined to be like, let's go in and, and do this. Challenge accepted. Let's go. Um, so so that's like on the creative side of things. Uh, I would say from a like softer skills team side of things, it was a tough – industry. Very tough. Uh, I had things said to me, suggested to me that I I would not wish upon others, but in many ways, I'm glad they happened to me because I, I have an incredibly thick skin. Um, and I, as a result of that, I'm actually able to separate my personal feelings towards a problem Um from like the 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 business problem and and I don't get I don't get tripped up very easily um and I think almost to the point where I have to be very aware of that as I manage my teams um and and to understand that not not everyone is that way uh so you have to bring people along and help people to see the light and challenges when I might not be uh that tripped up about it. Mm. It's the best way to say it. Like when we are in the and there and by the way, I've also had uh the luxury of finding like-minded people. So like I would mm. I would not not just because you're on the show. I would say Ritesh is like very similar to that where it's like we are so in love with the work we're doing that we would work till three, four, five, six AM to get it perfect. Cause for us like joy is that perfect output. Uh even if it means it's at the expense of like losing some sleep or Having a significant other that might be a little upset at you, <laughs> but not everyone's like that. So that that's, the, I think the biggest thing is like um, one part coaching your team to be a little bit more resilient and not get tripped up on, on challenges, but then also being very mindful that not everyone is that way, nor should everyone. You need mm-hmm. a system of balances and checks and you need some people to say, okay, like enough is enough. Stop. This is good to go. Like ship it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so those are two things. I guess speaking about teams, I mean, you, you know, are in this amazing role. Um, how are you continuing to work to empower other women on your team in the business of beer? Um, you know, or, you know, what other initiatives are you working on that you're really excited about? Yeah, it's a little like an unknown fact about Bud is we're actually predominantly women on the team uh, for the last few years, uh, which is it's it's awesome. It's yeah, it's, it's really so cool. Uh, is that strange for a brand that is so thought of as like male? Do- you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Sold male dominated, mm-hmm. male dominated, sold to men. Men drink beer, women drink wine. They don't drink. You know what I mean? Like, is that? Do you feel like <clears throat> that's then reflected in the work? And like, how do you feel? I certainly believe that when you have diversity of thought, work gets better. It doesn't matter where you are. So I'm I'm happy to see that we have. Um, more women uh, that have a seat at the table to think of the work. For me, what is the most exciting about having women on the brand is that we're now considering women as a part of the occasion. Probably we're, we're, I'm not saying that this was not a thought before, but we love the brand so much. We love the beer so much uh, that we can't help but to be excited to bring more women into the excellence and excitement of being a bud girl. Uh, One of the best things for me is like when I, when I go out and order a bud, you know, just to see like how people react. Sometimes we'll be like, do you mean like, you know, a bud light or, which by the way, I I love bud light as well, but it's like, do you mean, Bud like, no, 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 I mean a bud. Um, (laughs) And it, it says something I think about a woman that chooses bud. Um, and and some of the people that I admire most self-select and say they drink bud, right? So like Jennifer Lawrence and Lady Gaga, like when Lady Gaga watches the Super Bowl, she'll tweet like watch drinking Budweiser and with my and watching the game with my dad. And I just want to bring I just want to bring more women into the fold the way in which men have for for the last century. Mm-hmm. Um so in terms of that leadership style, like what are being a woman and leading a team uh, with an iconic brand, do you feel like you have to change your leadership style because you're a woman? Or do you think like that is um, that that whole notion is just antiquated? It's it's something I I um, 
as I stepped into this this role, I had to really have like a hard look in the mirror and say, you know, what, where, how do you want to um, act, and who do you want to be, and. It's a, it's a continuous conversation I have, but I think more often than now, as of late, I've been in the role for the last 10 months, I would say, like the last four months, I've, I've really like found my place. And that place is I, I'm checking myself in instances where I feel like I'm pivoting to, like, for instance, like it's something as small as using exclamation points so that I don't, from a tonality mm-hmm. standpoint, mm-hmm. seem harsh because it may be received differently coming from me ver- I've stopped that. So I am constantly checking myself Mm. um, and saying, are you acting a certain way or doing something because you think it might be branding you Mm. in a too strong or too tough of a way? Um, So I think about it. I've thought about it. I continuously think about it. There's no perfect answer. Uh, But regardless, I'm... I feel very lucky and fortunate uh, to to work for a company that was, I think, you know, very excited to have me um, take on this challenge because we're a company that uh, believes in in empowering women as well as empowering men. You know, so for us, it's it's a it's a true meritocracy. Would you say that you guys are in the beer business or are you in the community business or all of the above? And then how does that infer your content strategy? Yeah. So for Budweiser, we are absolutely in the beer business. Uh, the thing about Budweiser is it's it's one of the toughest lagers to brew. Um, and we're very proud of the role it has played in so many uh, meaningful moments in people's lives. So 100%, we cannot lose sight of the fact uh, that we are in the beer business. Um, But what has also come with being a 143-year beer brand uh, that has sort of been at the leading edge of of driving a lot of American culture, whether it be like shaping – the way people think and consume Super Bowl, right? They, right? they watch the game, but it's also the game of the commercials or the role we had in repealing Prohibition or the fact that we have our barley sent up to space for the second time to figure out how we're going to brew beer uh, so that when man sets foot on Mars, they can enjoy so an ice-cold one. <laughs> what has also come with the fact that we brew beer and are in the business of beer is that we are also in the business of uh, bringing people together um, for what we believe to be like the best of the American mm-hmm. spirit. Um, and for us, that's that's progress and opportunity. And that's what we stand for. Um, and that's what you see in our work, uh, which is why like we are so lucky that that's why we get to tap into sport um, and things like innovation, like, uh, you know, the fact that we're with 100% renewable electricity, barley's up in space, floating around. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's beer, b- b- beer business, but then also the business of American culture Mm -hmm. uh, that is rooted in, you know, bringing people together. As you've gone through the last five, six years of your career, um, have you felt yourself getting more and more removed from actual content and content ideation? Or do you always try to entrench yourself in that process? Um, It has made me like obsessed with content to the point where the pendulum is swinging. And you know how earlier I said that I came with no frameworks? Mm-hmm. I never, or traditional experience. Now I am like con- on this continuous journey to codify what makes good creative, good creative. And what uh, does? Yeah. Well, um, there's for me three things. I think when you crack these three things well, you're like, you're the cream of the crop. So for me, it's it's comprehension. Really understanding if the content you're creating has very clear comprehension for the person you want to consume it. Uh, creative excellence. So is the style in which you're treating said message that should be comprehended uh, stimulating creatively? So from music to visual treatment uh, to the fonts to all that stuff. Um, and then lastly, conversion. 
which is comes to life in in multiple ways, which is is your creative and the message you're sending compelling enough that someone wants to take action that it actually triggers a of movement in their life um in a time where people are inundated with content and just can be passive viewers so you know whether it's like an engagement or a comment or a purchase or a share um so for me those are the the, the three critical 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 things to to good creative. Now here's here's the one thing that I will say um that is like the most important across all three is you have to have the right people at the table. And I said this before. Uh you have to have the right people. None of this you can have every framework in the world, the key to the best idea, but you have to have the right people with the right mindset uh to to make it all happen. And how are you um you know, we've you've touched on this 143-year-old company. Um you have people who love Budweiser and have drank it their entire lives. Um, and yet we are in a inflection point where audience tastes are changing. Craft brew is a thing, etc. And you're just known for things like what's up and the frogs and iconic, you know, moments in culture, really. Yet you guys are moving the, the needle forward on things like innovation, sustainability. Explain to us what Budweiser's doing? And then how do you take a aircraft carrier and basically turn it around in the Panama Canal as you're doing? Like, how do you take something that big and move it that much forward when you have an organization this large? Yeah. You, you, the, the main thing for us is a acknowledge the fact that you are, what did you call it? An aircraft? Yeah. You're an aircraft an carrier aircraft. in the Panama Canal. So acknowledge <laughs> that you're an aircraft. Carrier. It's not easy to maneuver. Acknowledge that you're an aircraft carrier. I think that's like rule number one, which means one size fits all messaging it does not work. And that also means that you probably have like five to six different opportunities to address. So I think that's that's point number one. Um, part number two is know who you are. So know, know who who consumes you. So for us, it's we realize we have like multi-generations of drinkers. So there is a drinker that uh, cannot remember their childhood without like talking about the Clydesdales that knows mm -hmm. them so well. And then there's a generation that can't, um, that, that can't eat, like, can't forget the, the was up spot or, or the frogs. Uh, and then we have a generation that doesn't know any of that. Right. We have a generation that doesn't know what a Clydesdale is. They call them horses. Um, we have a generation that, uh, does not know the was up spot or the frogs. Um, so when you when you look at when you look at all of that it 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 forces us to say okay we we can't do one size fits all messaging we have to make the newer generation fall in love with Budweiser the way the generations before have um, and we have to pay attention to the people that um, already are in the fold so it's it's having you know I, I call them tribes really like listening to what what you're tribes know and think about you um, and and delivering them content and marketing that is relevant and, again, very authentic and right for the brand. Um, and then I think overall, then there then there is there is a role for marketing that should span all the generations. Um, and that for us is when we launch innovations, you know, it's the innovations are new to all the generations that drink us. When we make an announcement uh, for the fact that we were brewed with 100% renewable electricity, that's new news to all of them. So it's figuring out what messaging of your campaigns is new news for all um, and then and then being highly reactive to the different uh, drinkers. What is one piece of advice you'd love to give your peers, other CMOs, you know, uh, brand managers, marketing directors that you've learned that you'd love to see them do as well? to just give the whole, to give advertising a different image and just give content in general um, with brands just, you know, to move it forward? It's a two-pronged answer. Um, I think the second you are put on a brand or responsible for a portion of a brand, you should live and breathe that brand and you should live and breathe uh, the platforms that you're responsible for. Uh, so have a very strong sense of ownership and 
an even stronger sense of curiosity. I think that's the only way you will be uh, seen as someone that is incredibly valuable in that space, right? You should be bringing the new news to your team and be taking a great amount of pride. Um, so, so that's one part. I think the second part is as you are focusing on the creative that you're making or responsible for, uh, it's easy to think about what is right for the brand or the channel. I encourage people to take it a step further and think of every creative you put out as a representation of your personal brand too. Because mm -hmm. I think the second you make, uh, the expectation of the creative that's coming out personal to you. Like I, I need this to be perfect the way you would want something to be perfect for your like mother or father or something like mm -hmm. that. It just, it take it takes your sense of ownership to a whole other level. Um, and I think oftentimes, I think oftentimes people just, they stop at the brand. Um, and when it becomes a little bit more about you and what you expect for yourself, and for the people you love or, uh, yeah, then, then it, I don't know, it just creates a whole different mindset and meaning, also meaning to what you're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, you're going to hear a little bit less about Budweiser and a lot more about Monica. Stay tuned. If you like funny people talking, I think maybe you should check us out. That's Elsie, the producer for Funny People Talking. I'm Mark Rako. I'm one of the hosts. And also with me is... Danielle, I'm one of the other hosts. And you know what, Elsie? I actually think you're a funny person. And on the show, you do talk. So it really lives up to its name. So if you love great interviews that have a lot of heart, improv comedy, and just a really fun discussion, you should check out the podcast Funny People Talking on Mouth Media Network and wherever the best podcasts are found. Because I think this is one of the best podcasts, don't you, Elsie? Well, duh. What about you, Danielle? Well, duh. And what about you, all the listeners out there? So you must believe all these people. We don't lie at all. But we are funny. Listen to Funny People Talking every Monday and really anytime. It's a podcast. Yeah, and we don't lie. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes at contentisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. And so, Monica, when you were growing up, what did you think you were going to be doing as an adult? And how does that compare to what you're doing now? That changed a lot growing up. Uh, but the earliest memory I have of what I wanted to be was a Pizza Hut delivery girl. Okay. <laughs> so I used to be obsessed with that. Wasn't expecting that. I used to be obsessed with that. And I would actually collect like all the little tables that were inside the pizza. I was like obsessed with those. So that was one. Uh, the second thing was I used to be fascinated with women that had long nails and when they would like touch the cash register. So I used to always dream of like being a cash register attendant. So that was phase two. Then phase three was a teacher. I always wanted to be a teacher. And by the way, I still want to be a teacher. That will be a hundred percent. Um, it's something I, I dabble in once in a while now, but I, I look forward to the day that I can do that full time. Um, and then lastly, before I pivoted to Budweiser, I wanted to be like a household, I don't even like to say celebrity because then it seems like I was chasing fame. I just wanted to like really have a lot of albums that won a lot of Grammys. And so did you envisage yourself on stage? Oh yeah. Like, you know, stadium, the stadium, the full on. Oh Yeah. And what does that persona look like? Was she, you know, heavily made up or was it just you and she your was song and your words? She was eclectic. Okay. So what my, my, when I was an artist, it was like more on the Nelly Furtado vibe. It's like a total mishmash of genres. And, and what did you prefer? Did you prefer being on stage and I performing being on stage. compared to the writing of songs and seeing your creativity? I loved being on stage. Channeled. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. It's nice when you place a song with an artist and you write a song and then you see them perform it. You're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that happened. 
Um, but I love being on stage, love writing, love being in the studio. What um I mean you just came back from from Cannes and you guys won some amazing awards um and you were just named on Billboard Billboard's um you know you know top brand people to watch um what does that mean to you you know like where do you want to go like from those awards like what does that inspire you to do next creatively and is there a responsibility you know when you you know feel like you're you've garnered so much, um, with this brand. I feel very lucky to be in a situation where I was, um, put on a brand that has the, has the expectation to, to be a leader in, in marketing. So as a result of that, I am able to do really like I don't want to say risky because risky seems like something like really um, innovative marketing. Mm -hmm. So I, I feel very – when you have moments like can, um, it's like it's a hard stop to say celebrate, celebrate. Like stop right, right now, take this trophy, look at all the people around you that, by the way, were integral to making all this w work happen. You were like – 10% of it or 5% of it. There's a million people that made this happen. Um, and and go get a drink and celebrate because I think oftentimes uh, you're just so in it. You're so mm -hmm. in the thick of it. And by the time something launches, you've spent so many hours and weeks and months that it's kind of like it's not as new to you as it is to the person that's seeing it for the first time. Um, so that when these award shows come along – You've had enough time to like step away and then you come back and it's like, oh, this is really cool. Um, so so that's for me, it's the best part about awards is less the 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 hardware. Right. And it's more a forced moment to say the industry recognizes that the work that all these people that are on this stage with you, that the, they see the vision that you saw when you guys all busted your butts to make this happen. Awesome. Go celebrate. So that's awesome. Um, I think with the like whole responsibility piece, it's, it's really funny. I forever in my life will operate off of having imposter syndrome. Like I just, I don't ever say any, I, I've never had a moment where I'm like, I've made it. This has happened. I don't. Cause there for me is always something I can be doing better. Um, so that that's why the award shows are nice because then it forces you to be like you did something Congra right. like, congratulations like ha have have a good time let loose but I don't know I just I, I appreciate the recognition and it's great um, I'll tell I'll tell you a moment that kind of make made me feel uh, helped me to embrace the these like list things like the most this or whatever um, and it's funny because. Um, one of my friends, Gary Vaynerchuk, told me this, um, and in theory, I got it until the moment it became reality. So there was a moment where um, I, I said something like, oh, you know, I, I don't – these lists, I don't care about them. He's like, no. He's like, you should care. He's like, because there's going to be an Indian girl – by the way, I'm Indian for anyone that's listening. <laughs> there's going to be an Indian girl sitting in Oklahoma uh, that that – is going to read this and see you and ultimately see herself and is going to be inspired to potentially do something that maybe her parents didn't, aren't advising her to do. And that's what this is about. Um, because you never had that. I never had that growing up. Mm -hmm. I didn't have, I didn't see my, I guess myself. So that actually ended up happening. Um, for for something that I got recognition for. And I got like a message on LinkedIn. It was like almost verbatim. The girl wasn't from Oklahoma, though. She was from Pennsylvania. <laughs> but uh, and that to me was like, ah, oh, OK. Oh, that's so special. That's so special. Mm -hmm. And that's that's ultimately like why I want to teach eventually. It's like if I can help unlock um, an excitement behind the things that I'm excited about, it's only going to get better, right? Creativity is like such an incredible um, thing that I think people just don't don't know enough about, right? Like sometimes people don't know like that people's jobs sometimes are to say like, oh, that person should wear blue nail polish, not red mm -hmm. nail. Like it is fun. It's just people don't know what it is sometimes. Right. <laughs> so 
if I can help in any way on that, that that's cool. Uh, the last word, um, this has been a completely amazingly insightful yeah. conversation and I've known you for four and a half years, but I feel like there's things about you I learned that I had no idea. Um, but we want to end with the final thought from you. Is there anything you want to bestow on us? Any last little nugget? Um, anything, uh, how, you know, yeah. in your mind? It is okay to quit. I think some of the smartest people I know quit quickly, know when something is not going in the right way, but never quit without a solution. So for me, it's always come with a solution. Look at every single obstacle as an exciting thing to solve and pivot from. And I think when you take on that mindset, uh, everything that you do, you, you will be seen as someone that people want to work with and enjoy working with. Um, but also everything you do will get better and better and better. Everything you touch, even in your personal relationships. Um, so it's it's really a mindset related. So when you said quit, what did you mean by that? Look, it doesn't mean quit your job, which by the way, also, if, if your job is, is not working for you, then quit, but find a solution. It, it really means like, don't feel precious about sticking to something if it's not working. Keep things fluid, keep moving. But when you are deciding that something's not working, always come with a solution. And Monica, if people want to connect with you, how can they reach you? LinkedIn's the best way. So uh, my, you can catch me at LinkedIn at Monica Rustigi. Uh, and with that, we want to thank you so much for taking the time out to be a part of this. Thank you, Monica. Thanks for having me. And uh, to our co-host, Amber. Thank you, Monica, so much for being here and to everybody who's listening. And Natasha. Monica, that was amazing. Thank you. And with that, I'm your other host, Ritesh Gupta. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. This has been Content Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2019. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network. And find prior episodes at contentisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard.